0: What is up, listeners of the world? My name is Jaylen Tully, and welcome to Jay Talks. What is up, you guys? Happy Sunday, and thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Jay Talks. How are you guys doing? Are you okay? Are you alive? Are you single handedly questioning everything about your existence because of what happened on Wednesday? Because I know I sure am. At least I'm questioning about everything I thought it meant to be an American. Oh, you guys, it's gonna get so intense this week because it, America's really not doing so well this year. Like, th- this season, America is not on its best game. Like, we are struggling right now between the pandemic, terrorist Trump supporters who scale walls and break into the Capitol building during a joint session of Congress, might I add you, racial unrest, the stimulus bills being held up in Congress, we're, you know, in the middle of switching offices and, you know, inaugurating a new president and welcoming a new Senate and a new House and it's it's a weird time period, but it's also just America dealing with or having to deal with the consequences of her own actions. So yeah, I'm just gonna be sitting down with you guys today and kind of dissecting some of the some of the crazier stuff that happened this week. Um, uh, but it's not all bad though. It is not going to be all bad because I also want to talk about the Georgia runoffs and the fact that the Senate actually flipped and now has a Democratic majority and they're just there's just something so satisfying about being able to say Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. It just rolls off the tongue beautifully. But yes, and then I'm going to wrap it up by actually giving you guys some of my podcast recommendations whether you're not a huge podcast listener and you want to kind of find ways to get into it or you are a huge podcast listener and you want to find ways, to expand your horizons and find new podcasts to listen to. I have a good list of them. They're funny, they're educational, they're enlightening. I think everyone can get something out of the list that I made today. So, yeah, once again, I want to waste no time, so I'm just going to jump right into the content. First things first, let's talk about the domestic terrorism that took place at the Capitol last night, why don't we? Wow, I'm saying last night because I'm recording this on Thursday, but... Wow. Wow. I don't even, I don't even know what to say. It baffles me every single day how different your living experience in America is if you're white versus if you're black. And when stuff like this happens, it's, it's just a constant reminder of the, of how much work we still have to do. And it's just, it's times like this when it's so easy to feel hopeless. And I know that. And so, I, you know, I have to really dig deep and find it within myself to still get inspired and still get motivated and still know that it's going to get better and it won't always be like this. But I, I also want to just say that I understand that it's hard to, you know, when stuff like this happens and you still have people on your social media accounts, you still have friends, you still have family members, you still have people that you want to look up to and you want to love and you want to appreciate who, you know, still support Trump and still support what people are doing. And, you know, the fact that they literally broke into the Capitol building last night during a joint session of Congress. And during all of that, all that was playing in my head was, I I was just remembering back when they were having a violin vigil for Elijah McClain over the summer and they got and the protesters got tear gassed. A violin vigil. Tear gassed, shot with rubber bullets, arrested, dehumanized. Yet an armed white supremacist militia was able to not only scale the fences of the Capitol building not only break down security barriers to the Capitol building, were able to push back, beat, and brutalize police officers of the Capitol building. They were able to break windows, bust down doors, and shoot bullets within the Capitol building. They were able to raise Confederate flags, sit at the desk of Nancy Pelosi, steal her mail, make a mess of a ton of confidential documents within the capitol building and there were less than two dozen arrests a lot of those people were able to just walk out and go stay in their hotels or go home a lot of them despite most of them not wearing masks despite most of them posting everything on social media despite most of them openly bragging and being proud of the crimes that they committed We'll probably never see charges. I'm reminding you, Breonna Taylor died sleeping in her home. George Floyd died over an allegedly counterfeit $20 bill. Tamir Rice was 12 years old, and he died for carrying a pellet gun in a park in an open carry state. And we're going to revisit that in a little bit because, like I said, I also wanna talk about his case and how the officers involved are not seeing charges. But it's just, it's it's insane. Jacob Blake is never gonna walk again. So if you're black, you can't walk away from a police confrontation and reach for your, door, for your car door handle. You can't allegedly use a counterfeit $20 bill You can't be 12 years old in a park with a toy gun. You can't even be sleeping in your own home. You can't go for a jog. You can't walk home with an Arizona iced tea and a bag of Skittles with a hoodie over your head. You can't be driving with a taillight out. You can't do any of these things without your life being on the line, lest there be a police officer present. But if you are white and you support the Fascist president that is sitting in office right now, you can literally walk all over and beat the police and storm into a government building armed, dangerous, bringing bombs, bringing Molotov cocktails. I mean, even the president's actions over the summer. When the shooting starts, the looting starts. These people are thugs, criminals. Lock them up, arrest them sent out the National Guard in dozens of U.S. cities, but now he tells these people that he loves them. He loves them. <sighs> oh, it's, oh, it's disgusting. It's, we may live in the same America, but we don't experience the same America. And I think, I think if, White people, even the ones that aren't racist, but maybe are more conservative, right wing, leaning, whatever, I think if people realized that, specifically white people, a lot of the issues that we still deal with with race would be not like non issue. I, I don't think white people realize how truly different living in America is if you're black versus if you're white. Because I think everyone saw yesterday. I think everyone saw on Wednesday that that is true. And, you know, as much as crazy as the events of Wednesday were and as absolutely insane those people are, I'm thankful for them. Because I think that hopefully I'm going to keep my fingers crossed because no matter how hard it is, I'm going to try and stay hopeful. But like I said, fingers crossed, I'm hoping that people will start to open their eyes and people will start to see the true discrepancies between living as a black person and living as a white person in America. But serious question right now, like like genuine question, is it still inappropriate for Colin Kaepernick to take a knee and protest? Is that still an inappropriate way to protest? Because I'm sitting here And as angry as I am, as embarrassed as I am, as frustrated and pissed off and upset and heartbroken, I'm still trying to find ways to learn from the events that are happening. And I'm still trying to find ways to be logistical. So I'm genuinely wondering, is Colin Kaepernick taking a knee still an inappropriate way to take a protest because yesterday thousands of armed men carrying Confederate flags and Trump flags staged their protest by scaling the walls and breaking the windows and busting through the doors of our nation's capital. And not only were they encouraged by the president and incited by his words, but they've been all but condoned by police, law enforcement, other elected officials. The same amount of people that died in Benghazi died on Wednesday in our nation's capital because, what, people didn't get their way? The election didn't go their way? The fascist president that they idolized didn't win? I mean, four Americans die in Benghazi. We have trials for 18 months Four people die in our nation's capital and I bet you anything they're going to try their hardest to just sweep it under the rug and move on. And now for, you know, smooth transition into the Tamir Rice case, just to show you, I just want to show you how blatantly different existence is in this country if you are black or if you are white. This is just, this is not even... Me trying to like radicalize you. This is not even just my opinion. These are facts. These are the events that happened yesterday and the ugly events of our past. On Wednesday, thousands, probably tens of thousands, of Trump supporters wearing MAGA hats, carrying Trump flags, carrying Confederate flags, some of them armed, stormed our nation's capital. They broke down four layers of security barriers. They scaled cement walls, they broke the windows, they were getting into fistfights with police officers, sitting at the desks of elected officials, there were gunshots going off in the Capitol building, and many of them were able to walk away not only unarrested and undetained, but also unscathed by the police. Tamir Rice, in 2014, was a 12-year-old boy playing with a pellet gun in a park in an open carry state. That means if he was of age and had a gun in his possession, he would be able to carry it openly in a public space, lest it be permitting. But keep in mind, Tamir Rice didn't even have a real gun. He had a toy gun, a pellet gun. Officers get a call that a kid's waving around a gun in a park, most likely looks like a child. Police pull up and within two seconds, That child has been shot. I mean, do you see how astronomically different these experiences are? And keep in mind, this isn't even to the same degree. One isolated harmless child playing with a toy gun in a park is not even comparable to the same magnitude of thousands of armed angry men breaking into A federal building. It's not even comparable. And you also have to keep that in mind. But it just goes to show you how truly different. And I don't understand how you can justify one of them while also justifying the other. I don't know how you can sit here and say that Tamir Rice deserved to die. He had a gun in a public space. He didn't look like he didn't look 12 years old. He looked older. That security footage is too blurry. You can't tell what happens, which is the excuse they used for not pressing charges against the officers that killed him. And I don't understand how you can say all of that and you can excuse the fact that a 12-year-old boy was killed at a park while also at the same time defending thousands of people who are actively committing felonies at any given moment. At any given moment, any person who was a member of the Capitol riots, was committing a magnitude of felonies. Between entering a federal building with a firearm, between entering federal buildings with explosives, between assaulting police officers, stealing Nancy Pelosi's mail, affecting, touching, interfering with federal and confidential documents. I mean, it's just, there's, there's just so much. There's so much to dissect and there's so much to get angry at. And it's painful. Because all I want is for people to learn from stuff like this. That is all I'm asking. I just want the general... Because let's face it, people like this, the people who committed the disgusting acts on Wednesday, people who, real, who seriously took it upon themselves to break into the Capitol building, people who were scaling cement walls in broad daylight while wearing flannels, how white trash are you and why do you want everyone to know? I mean, people who were stealing podiums and being so disrespectful as to sit at the desks of our elected officials and our lawmakers who were hanging off of and sitting in the chamber of Congress. I mean, these people forced our lawmakers into lockdown and they had to stay up into the wee hours of the morning in order to officially elect Joe Biden as the next president of the United States. This is going to be something that is written in history books. This is going to be something that my children, my grandchildren, assuming our society makes it that far, but I think that might be pushing it, honestly, seeing how things are going. But that's going to be something that, you know, our children and our grandchildren, like I said, they're going to learn about this in school. And they're going to ask us about it. I couldn't imagine being one of the people who 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years from now are trying to defend their disgusting actions to their children. I know the people who actually committed those acts yesterday, we can never reason with them. You cannot reason with people like that. You cannot reason with people like that who will take it upon themselves to commit sedition and commit some of the atrocities that were committed on Wednesday. But I need the greater of America. I need those of us who may disagree on political standpoint, who may disagree on the most fundamental of beliefs. I need Americans with a conscience to look at events like this and say, We, we can't let this, we can't let this be America because we can't, we can't, we can't let this represent us. I know it does. I know that this is what this country is. And I know the events that happened Wednesday are a perfect representation of everything, not only that America idolizes and that America glorifies, but that America also creates and breeds, but it doesn't have to be. And I think that's the most important part. And like I said, I just, I need my fellow Americans who do have a conscience and who did look at the events of yesterday with disgust and disdain and remorse for the people who had to deal with those thugs. Because that's what they were. They were thugs. They were hooligans. You called my people thugs over the summer. My people never acted like that. Black Lives Matter never acted like that. Antifa never acted like that, and you called us thugs, you called us criminals, you imprisoned us, you shot us with rubber bullets, you tear-gassed us, you pepper-sprayed us, you were macing, tear-gassing children over the summer. They did far less than anything that was done on Wednesday. Black Lives Matter and the protests that happened over the summer, they did not even scratch the surface of some of the atrocities that were carried out on Wednesday. And that's all I'm trying to really get people to see is that there is a huge discrepancy in how people are treated and the liberties and privileges that people have and carry with them, simply based on the color of their skin. (sighs) It's so hard being an American. It's so hard having to see stuff like this happen and like just kind of accept that that's how it is. It's, oh, it's embarrassing. It's upsetting. It's exhausting. Oh my god, I wish I could just, like, come on here and talk about, like, my favorite breed of dogs and talk about just dumb stuff and just, like, release the garbage from my mind into a microphone once a week. That sounds like heaven. But no, instead I have to come on here and talk about how much... The government and its citizens absolutely sucks donkey balls. This is, oh my god, like every single day I'm more and more embarrassed to be an American. Every single day. Every single day. (sighs) Okay. But like I said, not all news is bad because now that we are done, with that very sad, very exhausting segment that should not have been necessary because grown adults should know how to act, especially when they are at a protest. But unfortunately, that's not how America works. So, now that we're done talking about that, we can now talk about the Georgia runoffs! So, the Senate flipped. Georgia is officially a blue state. Huh, but let's face it, Georgia was never a red state. It was just a voter-suppressed state. Ooh, we're gonna get some lessons in voter suppression today. I'm so excited. <sighs> First off, I just want to say, Stacey Abrams... Round of applause, sister. Like, black women saved the day again. I mean, black women always save the day. But, especially now, I mean, Stacey Abrams... I mean, her story alone is absolutely incredible, but when you actually take into account all of the work that she did and all of the time, dedication, and energy she committed to turning the state of Georgia blue is, it's incredible to me and it only, it really does make me ask so many questions, but I'll get into that after I'm done praising Stacey Abrams. She lost her bid for governor and Instead, and a lot of people wanted her to run for Senate. A lot of people wanted her to run for another public office. And she said, "Mm, no, screw that. I am going to conquer voter suppression. And that's exactly what she did. And, I mean, (laughs) now the state of Georgia is blue. That woman has vengeance. That woman was out for vengeance. And, honestly, I'm... (laughs) I am so I'm so thankful for not just her, but every other woman of color, person of color, congress member, congressperson who were who was out and putting in the work of fighting to make this past election turn out the way it did. So once again, a huge shout out to every single person who dedicated time to getting people to the polls, getting people registered, finding out people's eligibility, helping people, you know, have their, make their voices heard, especially this election. Because this election, it was truly so important that we had people who probably don't normally vote, you know, people of color, uneducated, people who may not have the economic means to be able to vote, especially within a pandemic. I mean, keep that in mind too or people who just didn't feel like voting or just didn't want to vote and it exhausted them. I mean, the people who truly dedicated the time to getting those people to the polls and having those people make their voices heard, that is something to just praise people on, especially Stacey Abrams and the work that she did in taking Georgia, a state that, I mean, at least for me, someone who comes from the Northeast, I mean, when I think of Georgia, I think of, like, cowboys, maybe incest, I don't know. That's more Alabama though, right? But I don't know. That's like, I like. I think of like hay bales and tumbleweeds. Everyone rides horses and cows everywhere. Um, peaches aren't, like peaches are a thing in Georgia. I also think of beauty pageants because of insatiable, but that also might not be a real thing. <laughs> so we're going to forget about that one. But yeah, like I was saying, that is, that's what I think of when I think of Georgia. That's, I don't, I mean, it's, I think of a red state. I think of the most basic things that I think of when I'm thinking of a red state and when I'm thinking of a state that usually only votes red and only pumps out Republican senators and only pumps out Republican governors and Republican House members and only votes red in the elections. And she truly turned that on its head. And she, I mean, she exposed that Georgia, like I said, it's not a red state. It was a voter suppressed state. So I will be leaving in the description a bunch of different links, a bunch of different websites that you can visit, not just to learn about the work that Stacey Abrams did, not just to learn about what she was doing and what her goal was, but also to find ways to support her and not just support her, but also uplift the, you know, copious numbers of people of color and women of color especially who are still working hard to uplift their minority and marginalized communities. So like I said, I will be leaving a whole bunch of links in the description. Also, in each description, I do leave my link tree. I usually have a bunch of petitions or Google Docs on there with information and educational resources. So, definitely be sure to check that out every single week because I also do keep that updated with new petitions and new everything. So, definitely check that out. Definitely check out the description on information about Stacey Abrams. And I want to get into more about voter suppression. <laughs> so, like I said, I think already three times in this episode, and I will say it a million more times before I die. Georgia was not a red state. It was a voter-suppressed state. Georgia has, especially Atlanta and, you know, some of the bigger hotspot cities, Georgia is a very Black-dominated state. And especially when you start thinking about some of the voter suppression tactics that are put into place by federal and local governments in order to silence black voices during elections, it really starts to make sense as to why Georgia hasn't flipped until now and probably why it might stay flipped and why other states might flip as well. When I think about voter suppression, I, or any topic that is something that can be broken down into numbers and can be broken down into like statistical terms, I do like to think about it in a a way of numbers. I try and think about the immensity of voter suppression by thinking about one group and how just one group is affected by one means of voter suppression and how much that must contribute to the entire bigger picture that is voter suppression. Transcending racial, gender, religious, ethnic boundaries, I just focus on this one example and then it kind of just opens my eyes, or at least the first time I thought about it, it opened my eyes to how big of an issue voter suppression truly must be if this is already how many people are affected. I think about the fact that felons can't vote. You probably know this, you might not, but now you do. Felons in America cannot vote. They don't have the right to represent themselves at the voting booth. So with that being said, moving on. I think it's around 40% of black men in America either have felonies or are currently serving time for a felony. Hold on to that thought. Almost 40% of black men in America are current felons. Whether they're serving time for one or they've already been released, almost 40% of black men in America are current felons. Okay. Black people, men, women, in between, neither, both, whatever. Black people in America make up about 13% of the entire United States population. Let's say black men is half of that. So six and a half of the United States population is black men. So we're going to come back to that forty percent, almost 40% of black men are felons. 40%. That's close to, not really close to half. So we could make the inference that, you know, and I'm just doing rough numbers right now. I'm just trying to put it in perspective. Don't, like, come at me if they're not disgustingly accurate. I'm just putting this into perspective. We're trying to. So... We could make the inference that either 25 to 3% of people in America are black men who are felons. That is 25 to 3% of our United States population who cannot vote. So I'm going to take out my phone. Let's do some quick maths. So there are about, what is it, 328 million people who are currently living in America. Well, way less now because Trump did not do a very good job at controlling COVID. But we are actually going to be talking about that next week. So be sure to tune in next Sunday. Anyways, 328 million times 0.025 equals. That is about 8.2 million people. 8.2 million people. So keep in mind, these are just Black men with felonies, not including any other race, not including any other form of voter suppression. This is just black men with felonies. I feel like that's really high, though. Do you guys feel like that's really high? I don't know. Check my math and let me know because I felt like that was really high, but it also wouldn't surprise me because America is an evil, evil place. So, I mean, if we're being if we're being completely honest, I probably should not be surprised by the magnitude of that number. I'm probably just like. Frazzled because I've never like taken the time to actually do that math before. Yeah, that's astonishing The effects of racism are truly astonishing aren't they? But that aside Let's move on. So keep in mind, like I said, that's just one form of voter suppression That's just one group of people that doesn't even take into consideration Latino felons, white felons, Asian American felons, like that doesn't even take into consideration any other group and that also doesn't take into consideration gerrymandering That doesn't take into consideration the modern day poll tax. That doesn't take into consideration people who who are inadvertently affected by voter suppression because of either economic or political means means that they can't vote. I mean, if there's already 8.2 million people that can't vote because they're felons, and like I said, that's just one group, I mean, imagine how many other people are having their voices suppressed. Imagine how many other people predominantly people of color, predominantly black Americans, are having their voices suppressed and their votes suppressed because America doesn't want them speaking. And like I said, it, it makes me wonder how many other states, especially within you know those Bible Belt evangelical states that do have a higher number specifically of black people, You know, Louisiana, Mississippi, Arkansas, Alabama, Texas, how many of those other states do you think now have the potential to flip blue? Now that we've seen what happens when you peel back voter suppression and you allow for specifically marginalized groups to better be able to take their voices, to make their voices heard and walk themselves to the polls and have their vote matter, imagine how many of these other states would be blue imagine how much more Joe Biden could have won by. Uh, like I was saying, it really does just, like, make me think. It really does just put into perspective not only how systematic racism is, but also how, like, well-calculated America's racism is. Like, don't get me wrong, America's an evil, evil country with an evil, evil history, but um, but she can coordinate her racism, so there's something to be said for that. Um, With the more in-depth... Part of that topic aside, now I want to actually get into not only what I expect from this new Senate, but what I also expect from the Democrat leading House and the Democratic president to work in tandem with the Democratic led Senate. I expect within the next four years, I expect three of the next four things to be done. I expect either Medicare for all, I expect either, I expect at the very least, a national decriminalization of marijuana. I also expect a $15 minimum wage, and then finally, because Biden also has been talking about it, I also expect canceled student debt up to $50,000, because I think that's their cap on what they can do it for. I, (laughs) I have big expectations, because for so long, for decades, Democrats have been complaining that, oh, we can't get control of all of the three branches at once. We can't get control of even two of the branches at once. We, so we can't, you know, we can't pass the legislation that we want. We can't pass the big bills that we want to pass. We can't, you know, make all these changes. But now, y'all have control of all three. So I don't want to hear any more complaints about how, oh, we just need control. Oh, it's just so hard to pass when you don't have control of all three houses. Well, now you have control of all three houses. So I expect big changes, I expect progressivism to absolutely take off. I feel like in the last four years, Trump supporters and MAGA supporters have specifically made us believe elected officials, specifically the president and, you know, senators and house members, you, you can't criticize them. You can't hold them accountable when they make bad decisions or sign bad policy. And I just, I want to come on here and say that that's absolute bull honky. That's ridiculous. That doesn't make any sense. Elected officials are public servants. They're supposed to serve the people that elected them. They're supposed to have the vast majority of their citizens. They're supposed to have their best interest at heart at all times with every single policy decision that they make every single time that they step into the office every single morning to do their job. And I am planning on with this podcast at the very least of doing that and holding them accountable. And if I don't care that I voted for Joe Biden. I don't care that I wanted Joe Biden to win more than Trump. I don't care that, you know, I cried when Joe Biden won. I don't, like, I don't care about any of that. If he does something that's wrong, if he signs bad policy, if he says something racist or xenophobic or sexist, I will hold him accountable for that. And on the flip side of that, I will have standards for this new lineup of Congress. I will expect big things from them. I will expect big policy changes from them and I will expect them to fight tooth and nail to make our lives better, especially because for the last four years, it's it's been a shit show. It's been deplorable. So yes, I will expect big things and I will be coming on here to complain about them if they don't happen. So finally, with that being said, congratulations and thank you so much to Reverend Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff. I am anxiously awaiting the day you finally descend on your Senate seats and are able to wipe away the past skeletons that have been rotting there. But genuinely speaking, guys, I am super excited to see what this new congressional lineup has to offer and what changes we're going to be seeing in the next two and four years. So with that being said, (sighs) so we've made it. We've made it to the end of the podcast. We've made it to the fun part. We've made it to the part where we don't need to talk about government. We don't need to talk about racists. We don't need to talk about terrorists or people storming the Capitol or senators who don't do their job or crazy presidents who get mad at their vice president for doing his job. We don't need any of it here. Because now I can finally just give you guys my podcast recommendations. In peace. Okay, so obviously I am a little bit of a basic bitch. I listen to, you know, all the podcasts that most people listen to. Like Pod Save America is a huge favorite of mine. Probably one of my favorite podcasts. Um, Ted Radio Hour, a huge fan. Call Her Daddy, I used to be a big Call Her Daddy listener. Now I'm not really into it that much anymore. But I was at one point. Um, But for my podcast recommendations today, I want to try and give you guys some podcasts that I think are a little bit more underground, um, but they're also super educational and super informative, which I love. And it's information and education and topics that you wouldn't necessarily learn in conventional education settings. And with that being said, I want to get into my list. So the first one, we're going to start a little bit funny. And this one actually is probably much more popular than I think it is, but it's Two Dope Queens and it's by WNYC Studios. It's hosted by comedians, author, actresses, Phoebe Robinson, and Jessica Williams. And I love this podcast because it's it's recordings of their stand up shows and their live comedy shows. I love listening to it because they usually try to uplift or showcase specifically. Comics of color, um, comics from the LGBTQ plus community, comics who are minorities or immigrants—they try and uplift those marginalized communities, which I really love. And it also gives a very unique perspective to comedy because, let's face it, most of the comedy that you know we see in TV shows or that we see in stand-up or on, even just in a podcast setting is usually created by you know predominantly white men. So it's really it's really unique and fascinating to see how, you know, some of these different experiences, some of these, you know, different racial and ethnic and cultural backgrounds can truly influence how different comedy can be and I that that's just one thing I love about their podcast. So that's my first one, I definitely recommend that one. The next one I recommend is from the BBC World Service, their Witness History series specifically the subseries that's Witness Black History. So I actually don't really listen to any of the other witness history series. Um, I probably should, like I probably should make it a priority to also listen to the other ones, but whatever. I really like this podcast because they each episode is a different moment or event or person in Black history usually within the United States or the UK. But there are also different stories from Africa, from the Caribbean. So, for example, they have an episode on the attempted assassination of Bob Marley. They have episodes on various slave revolts and slave rebellions in not just America, but also in a lot of the Caribbean countries and South American countries as well. I actually just listened to one today about the Notting Hill Riots in Britain which were very interesting. So, yeah, like that's one where it's super informative, super educational. Even events that you thought you knew about or thought you were pretty educated about, they fill in a lot of information and there's but even ones that you, you know, probably had no idea existed. So, that's my second one and then my third and final podcast recommendation is You Had Me at Black. This is another podcast that actually may be a lot more popular than I think it is because I have mild main character syndrome, so I couldn't possibly think that anyone could listen to the same podcast that I do. This one is very interesting because it the entire premise is based around black millennials telling their life stories and telling personal stories from their either childhood or youth or their life as a young adult, either way. And I personally like this one because no story is alike, but yet every story is the same, if that makes sense. Because there's just, there's, it's specifically for white people who listen, I think it will open your eyes to. Not just how normal black existence is in America, but also how different black existence is in America from white existence. I also really, really like it because each, each person is a stranger that, you know, they choose to come on and tell a story from their life. By the end of it, you know, you have people who take it a little more into a comedy route and make things funny, make you laugh. You have people who have really sad stories and, you know, truly touch your heart that come with valuable life lessons and things that, you know, you kind of take away from that and go, wow, that was really insightful. Or, you know, you have people who tell stories and it's it's just relatable and you find comfort in, like, being like, oh, huh. so I guess everyone kind of experiences that. Especially because they're all people of color. They're all black. And for black people, I think, honestly, it would probably just be kind of a place of comfort, kind of just, you know, somewhere you could go and just listen to black people and their life stories and how they grew up. And I mean, everyone's different. Everyone comes from different backgrounds. Everyone has different stories. Everyone has different personalities. And that truly comes through when they're talking about their experiences and talking about their stories. And I just, like I said, I just, I, there's just something I love about it i mean there are people who come from inner city oakland california and there are people who you know their parents are senators or doctors neurosurgeons lawyers and they grew up very privileged and very educated and it's just it's very interesting to see that dichotomy and how it comes through especially specifically when you're just talking about young black people (sighs) we made it guys we made it through another week we survived we survived crazy Trump supporters storming our Capitol building. Isn't that crazy? I still cannot even, I still haven't even begun to process this, but hopefully by next week I will have. So guys, you already know the drill. If you liked this week's episode, if you want to see more content like this, please be sure to subscribe for weekly episodes coming out every Sunday. Also be sure to leave a rating, review, give me feedback for this podcast if you have any ideas or any criticisms. Just please do not hurt my feelings. I am sensitive. Also feel free to follow and interact with me on all my social media platforms. All my handles are at Jalen Tully. Feel free to follow my Spotify playlist as well. Again, that handle is also at Jalen Tully. All right guys, that's seriously it. Um, honestly, from the bottom of my heart, Be nice to each other, tolerate people, whether they look, act, sound differently than you, it doesn't matter. Just tolerate people and realize that our differences, it's what makes us as a human race and as a species, special. So how about we start cherishing that instead of wanting to kill each other over it? Also be sure to please stay safe, we're still in a pandemic. Wear your mask, socially distance, stop partying for the love of God, it's so painful to see. Last but certainly not least, guys, always be sure to educate often, learn freely, and love equally. Take care.